Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We just dropped our midseason organization talent rankings. They're available online now at baseballamerica.com, where we rank all 30 farm systems, taking into account the 2022 draft picks, everything that happened at the trade deadline, prospect graduations, players have taken steps forward, players have taken steps back, everything that has happened during the 2022 season. We have updated our org talent rankings to reflect those changes. You can see where your team ranks now compared to the preseason. There's a lot of movement because a lot has changed. To break down our organization talent rankings here at the midseason, I'm joined by JJ Cooper. JJ, our executive editor, spearheads our org talent rankings process from the formulas we use to the discussions and ultimately uh, how the final product ends up shaping up. JJ, we're going to dive into why certain teams are where and what's changed during the season. Uh, but before we do that, you know, one of the things we like to do at BA is kind of peel back the curtain and explain our process to everyone, be transparent. Uh, I feel like every year we do this org talent podcast, we explain it, but it's always good to repeat it. So JJ, take us through, you know, the organization talent rankings process and more so how it's done in mid season, because that's very different right. than how it's done before the season. So let me, let me just start by saying one of the things that stands out about the org talent rankings and you just kind of know it is it's really, we rank 30 teams and that means someone's going to be one and someone's going to be 30 and someone's going to be 29 and 28 and 27. And the thing you know is you're going to hear a lot more about who's 22, 23, 25, 28, 30 then you're going to hear about who's one to five. And that's fine. That is that is part of what we accept. If we are willing to rank, I am willing to hear questions, even criticisms. Hey, I think that you're too low here or whatever. And we try to explain what we thought. The key thing to start with on this is this is a snapshot in time. And in mid-season, it's even true in the off-season, but in the season, that really is important because we're not picking a time random. We're not picking and saying like, oh, we'll be able to put so-and-so number one if we rank it now. We did it now that we've updated all of our 30s, now that we've had a chance to kind of look at the draft, the trades, everything's happened. We're doing an update. That said, to just give an example of it, we met to kind of finalize our rankings Friday of last week. We're talking on, uh, I think it's Thursday today. Yeah, Thursday, Thursday of this week. And but it takes a little while. We have to write them up. You know, we want to make sure that we got everything right. 
in the time that it took from when we had that meeting on Friday to posting them today, C.J. Abrams and Nick Lodolo, for example, graduated. Two now, top 20 overall prospects, significant two, graduations. Two top 20 prospects. Now, that does not mean that we went, well, C.J. Abrams graduated. We had the Nationals two, and now they're going to be 20. It doesn't mean anything like that, but it does mean a top 20 prospect is significant in these. And so if the Reds still rank quite well, but the Reds actually moved down a spot because of Nicolola's graduation. Now, so you could say if you're a Reds fan, you know what, if they just had ranked this a couple of days earlier, we'd have been a spot higher. But you also could say if we, if Baseball America had ranked this a month earlier, the Reds would have been several spots lower because they hadn't traded Luis Castillo and Tyler Mala and all them yet. And that's having Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo and those guys, Spencer Steer, all those guys helped them get to that ranking. The it's, other it's, thing, it's important. This These are yeah. fluid. It, it, in season Absolutely. especially, these are extremely fluid. And we do the best we can. The absolute, we worked hard to try to make these as accurate as we can. But I will say a mid-season ranking is always also going to be more fluid than an off-season ranking, which is at the end of the process of our prospect handbook process, where we have not just written up new reports for really 40 prospects for each organization, but on top of that, then had like everyone else on staff read those reports, argue over them. And so at that point, we are about as well-primed about every org and the sense of talent in every org as we're going to be all year. It's, we did a, I mean, we've updated our top 30s multiple times this year. I'll give an example. I'll brag on Kyle here. We did our Mariners update in July before the, you know, July 13th, I think it was. And moving into that list was a certain young right-handed reliever named Andrew Moore, which at first when I saw it, it's like, we can't have Andrew Moore back on here. He's not a prospect anymore. Oh, there's a different Andrew Moore in the same org. But you know what? That was a guy who ended up being a nice piece in the in a in a trade. And so we want we are working hard to reflect what's happening with guys moving up, guys moving down. And that's the the fruits of all of that are these org talent rankings as we line it up. And the thing that stands out with it is is that you have seen the other part, the other key part I think it's worth mentioning is when we talk about this as a snapshot in time, this does not account. We are talking about farm system, organization, talent rankings that doesn't account for big leaguers. So if you look, the Mariners and Royals do not rank as high as they did before the season. Julio Rodriguez no longer counts for this. Bobby Witt Jr. no longer counts for this. It doesn't mean they've disappeared off the face of the earth. It doesn't mean that it's changed how what Julio Rodriguez is going to do for Seattle in any way compared. It's actually, you feel a little better about what he's going to do for Seattle than he did for the season because he's shown he can do it at the big league level, but this is a farm system ranking. And so we are reflecting the talent that is still at this moment, prospect eligible. And we say at this moment, Nick Lodolo crossed that line yesterday. He no longer counts for these. Yeah. And we'll dive in a little more into the Mariners and how they've dropped and why, frankly, it's a sign of success. Everyone in the Mariners org should be happy. And, and I've talked about this seemingly every org talent rankings podcast, but it bears repeating. Yes. Um, but JJ, now that we've, you know, kind of explained that and, and thank you for doing such an eloquent job. I want to talk about this list and 
you mentioned people seem to get significantly more um, reactionary about who's on bottom than who's at the top. And that includes people in baseball, by the way. It's always kind of fun. The the ratio of texts we get from executives whose teams are on bottom compared to the ones who are on top is something like 10 to 1. It's always kind of fascinating. But with that, starting at the top, the Baltimore Orioles are the number one farm system in our current org talent rankings. And it's interesting because normally when a team graduates the number one prospect in baseball, as the Orioles did with Adley Rutschman, you move down. You don't typically move up when you graduate the literal best prospect in baseball. And the Orioles did that. So, okay, they graduated our number one prospect in baseball, Adley Rushman, who, by the way, seems to be working out pretty well in Baltimore. Seems like uh, might be there a while. I, I like his chances of, of sticking around. But, but after graduating him, you look at our current top 100 rankings, and the Orioles have the number one prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson. And they also have our number one pitching prospect in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez. And they also have Jackson Holiday, who they dra- just drafted, you know, at, at the top of this year's draft. And they have, you know, th- it's not just them. They have other guys. They've had a number of players. I would say the Orioles are an example of a team who has had a number of players take significant strides forward this year, which is also something that plays a role in this. We're not just looking at the top 100 when we do, when we say how we line these up. It's not just a... We took all the players of the top 100. If you don't have anyone top 100, you're 30. If you have eight guys on the top 100, you're number one. We look at the depth of the organization. That said, Adley's a perfect example of this. Julio Rodriguez, George Kirby are perfect examples of this. We don't do our rankings based predominantly on depth. We do our rankings, I would say, we err towards the air of star power. And the reason I would say that among prospects, star power prospects, is not that you win Mike Trout and Shohei Otani have shown us one player. I don't care how good you are. Even two players. I don't care how good you are. Cannot drag a team to success. We've seen that. That said, it is so much harder to find stars than it is to find productive, useful players. And when you get, when you can produce a star and that's where if you say, why are the Orioles number one? I think Gunnar Henderson, I don't think he necessarily is going to be Adley Rushman, but I think Gunnar Henderson is going to be a cornerstone guy for the Orioles for a long time to come. Grayson Rodriguez is a pitcher. There's a lot of risk with that, but also could be a cornerstone guy. But also beyond that, the other thing that stands out to me, Kyle, is when you look at this, there are guys who are not in the top 100 for them who I think, yeah, that guy's probably going to be useful for them and maybe as useful as early in some cases as 2023. Yeah, there's no question. Again, after years of drafting high, they've added star power, they've added depth, they've traded a lot of big leaguers to go bulk up their farm system even more. And and you start to look at it. And yeah, I mean, this is an organization that, again, you can graduate the number one prospect in baseball, but you look at the steps forward Gunnar Henderson took. You look at drafting the number one overall pick in Jackson Holiday. I mean, those two things, first and foremost, are what kind of elevates you and keeps you up there. Um, but even Colton Kowser, gang to double A his first full year and really starting to hit after so-so showing at high A. Um, Jordan Westberg's up in triple A already. And, and to be clear, not everything's been perfect. Grace Rodriguez is hurt. Kobe Mayo has taken a step back. 
Um, but on the whole, if you just look at kind of the mix of, hey, they have some really, really, really premium talents in their farm system. And even as you go down into, you know, the teens, you still see some some players who say, yeah, these are you know talented players who have a chance to help the club at some point in the future. Um, I will say this is not the deepest farm system in baseball. This is definitely a case where, you know, kind of that star power at the top is what gives them the edge. Again, having two top five overall prospects and the number one pick in this year's draft and then six top hundred guys overall. Um, the two systems behind them on our org talent rankings are actually deeper, uh, both the Dodgers and Guardians. I think it's fair to say these were a clear-cut top three. Uh, we'll talk about the D-backs in a sec, but these were pretty much the clear-cut top three. And, you know, the Dodgers, we, we talk about it's very rare for a team to simultaneously be winning in the major leagues and have a great farm system. It's normally one or the other. Uh, the Dodgers have proven the exception to that rule year after year after year after year. And once again, looking at where they are, considering they're on pace for a uh, 113-win season in the major leagues and have what I believe is the deepest farm system in baseball, it really is hard to see a scenario where not, they're not as dominant throughout the 2020s as they were the 2010s. I think there's an alternate universe where a couple of things go better for the Dodgers in a couple of postseason series. Yes, yes. In and we're writing, and and I'm saying, no, 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 but I'm saying, and if, if it did happen that way, we would be prepping cover stories on are the Dodgers ruining baseball? Because <laughs> if if the Dodgers, I'm not joking when I say if the Dodgers had I think the Dodgers' success, which Yankees fans get ready to be upset at me, it's okay. Their success on a year-to-year basis is basically equivalent to what the Yankees did during their stretch core four and all that without, but it's not going to be that way because they haven't won the World Series like the Yankees did. But if you talk about over the course of a 162-game season, year in, year out, doing it, that's what LA's done. I'm saying I'm not saying this is the alternate universe. If they had won that best that game seven that they didn't win, if they had three World Series titles right now, you know, and and we would say, wow, they've won three World Series in the past eight years. On top of that, they win 95 to 100 games every year. On top of that, they're on pace to win 110 plus this year. On top of that, they still have a great farm system, even after they've traded for Mookie Betts and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. You would be, I mean, even after San Diego has thrown everything they possibly could at the Dodgers. And it's like, you know, they might finish within 15 to 20 games of the Dodgers when the season's over, that'd be a good season. They could, but they could win 95 if you're San Diego and still be further behind there than the you know basement teams in some other divisions. It is amazing what they have done. I'm going to get back to this when we touch on the Angels later on, but the ability to, to draft, scout, and develop year after year after year. The system is designed that you're not supposed to be able to do this. This is why you pick late. And not just pick late, but you have less money to spend in the draft. It doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, just kind of the, the newest chapter of this. I was out at Ranch Cucamonga Modesto last night. There's some talented players on the field. Dalton rushing the Dodgers top draft pick is there. And you know, just curious to get eyes on him. Had never seen him before. And I'm sitting there watching him and I'm like, how did this guy fall to number 40? It was just another chapter of, wait, the Dodgers got this guy where? You know, the Dodgers didn't have a first round pick because uh, they exceeded the luxury tax. 
And we've seen over and over and over again, they're able to just find great players and develop them. A big part of the Dodgers' success is their player development, what they're able to do with their pitchers, um, what they've done with their hitters, just kind of, you know, getting some swing changes in there to unlock power. It's pretty remarkable. And just just watching Dalton rushing, just, you know, the physicality, the impact in the bat, the fact he's a left-handed hitting catcher. is actually a pretty good athlete, too. I'm like, okay, left-handed hitting catcher with a swing that's impactful as heck, runs pretty well good athlete, great makeup. How does this guy fall to number 40? It's like, oh, of course the Dodgers got him. It's just kind of another, you know, made me chuckle a little bit. And it's what they do. They're a great run organization. But as you said, their biggest flaw has been they they overthink things in the postseason sometimes. And that's really what prevents them from being considered a dynasty. I would, that's what you would say. And I would say that, you know what? Playoffs are hard, you know, and that's where- Well, they're definitely hard, but sometimes they make it harder on themselves. Right, but- but playoffs are hard. It amazes me how the Dodgers have been basically one of the best teams in baseball just year after year after year. They have, besides Clayton Kershaw, they've turned this team over effectively. And they're still, uh, they're still, again, as you said, they're on pace to win 113 games. That, that doesn't happen. They're on pace to win 113 games after losing Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in free agency with Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller missing most of the year and Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger not hitting like they normally do. And they're still on pace to win 113 games. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, but in terms of their farm system, again, this was a uh, a pretty clear-cut top three system. And again, there's just a lot of talent here. Um, The Guardians are similarly deep. And that was one of the more interesting things going through updated 30s is they're probably the team that matches the Dodgers in terms of depth. The Dodgers is a little stronger at the top. Um, but I want to get into the Diamondbacks here because I think if you were to ask me who's a team at this point a year from now could be the number one farm system in baseball, uh, the Diamondbacks have a really good start with three of the top 20 prospects in the game. Now, some of this is going to depend on if Corbin Carroll has graduated by this time next year, and he probably will have. But for the sake of argument, say he's still in the minors for whatever reason, or he's in the majors, but he's still prospect eligible. He's a top five prospect in baseball. Jordan Lawler is on track to be a top five prospect in baseball. Drew Jones was the consensus top player in this year's draft class. For the second year in a row, the Diamondbacks got the top ranked player in the draft based on our rankings after talking with executives and scouts across the game. Plus, they have a really interesting group of arms right below them. Um, this is an organization I can see at this point a year from now being the number one system in baseball, again, pending Corbin Carroll's graduation. Yeah, I think that they're definitely one that, if you look at it, the teams ahead of them, um, the Dodgers are probably going to grad. Yeah, I, I'd say that the teams ahead of them right now are more prone to graduate more players. Gunnar Henderson probably gone by this time next year. Grayson Rodriguez probably gone. So the Orioles were our number one, probably don't have their top two prospects. Corbin Carroll's the only one of these D-backs players we're talking about who's like, and maybe Brandon Fat, like who could be graduated by this time next year. You have ascending guys in especially, like I said, Drew Jones. Drew Jones is already ranked very high, but absolutely, if Drew Jones, who unfortunately is missing this year, rest of this year, recovering from shoulder surgery, which seems to be kind of something that thankfully doesn't look like it has long-term effects, but Corbin Carroll, he can kind of hang out with Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler and get kind of the uh, the insights into what it's like to, be, uh, to, to, to miss time with a shoulder injury. But you look at them and you say, okay, they have this, this – preeminent top end group. Um, I would say though, if you told me that the guardians were number one at this time next year, it would also not surprise me partly because you just talked about their depth 
their depth of guys. Now, this is going to cause some issues. Maybe they won't be number one because I don't see how they protect everybody. I didn't see how they were going to protect everybody at the Rule 5 draft. That never happened. Shed a tear. Last year, but they added all those guys to the 40 by basically clearing out like 10 guys off the roster. Well, all those guys, most of them are still on the roster. I don't know how they're going to clear out guys for next year. But the thing that stands out to me about them is, is that you have guys like Justin Campbell and Tanner Bibby and Angel Janelle and, you know, guys, Joe Kensi Noel. Not that all these guys are going to be stars, but these are not top 10 prospects for them. And they're really interesting. And if you told me that, okay, they graduate a few guys, but some of these guys take that step next year to be top 50 prospect, wouldn't shock me at all because they seem to have talent at all levels of the org. JJ, two teams that made the biggest jumps in our org talent rankings from where they were at the beginning of the season are the Rockies and the Nationals. The Rockies jumped from number 24 to number 10. That's a 14-spot jump. The Nationals jumped from 26 to 14. That's a 12-spot jump. And one thing to keep in mind with all these rankings is none of this is occurring in a vacuum. It also involves what's happening around them, what other teams around them have done, who they've graduated, who they've traded, who they've drafted. But Nonetheless, both these organizations, their outlooks have grown significantly brighter from where they were back when we did our initial preseason org talent rankings back in February. I guess just, you know, what are your thoughts on these two? I think what stands out to me first and foremost before we dive into the details is they've done it differently. The Rockies have made this big jump with a lot of guys they already had in-house taking big steps forward, whereas the Nationals have taken this jump by adding a ton of prospects and trades, of course, the expense of trading away pretty much all their best players. The thing I'd say with the Rockies is like, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but this is where they should be. Like, I don't know another way to put it. They had the top, uh, they had a top 10 pick in the draft this year, plus two additional picks in the top 40. They picked eighth overall last year. They picked ninth overall and had another top 40 pick the year before that. This is a team, like if you are drafting at the top like that with extra picks, it's good to see that they're, they seem to be, again, it's early, but they're hitting on them because you look at a guy like Zach Veen and Zach Veen looks like what you would hope to see. Drew Romo, I would say, is a guy who has probably exceeded expectations a little bit. Like everyone loved the glove, but the bat has probably been a little better than what you know was kind of thought coming out of, uh, of high school. Benny Montgomery looks, but they've also internationally, they've done, a, I, I would say, a very solid job. Uh, you know, Ezekiel Tovar, Adiel Amador, they've done a good job here of kind of building a, a core that could help them, which is key because I, I, they, I do still feel almost sorry if you're a Rocky fan for like, I still don't have an explanation for how you're going to get from where you are now to competing in a division with the Giants, the Dodgers, the Padres, and by the way, even the D-backs who we just talked about could be the number one org in uh, farm system talent rankings next year. It's a rough division, but I do look at them and say, yeah, they've definitely, I like, like Jaden Hill's back on the mound. Jaden Hill was a guy who, if he hadn't gotten hurt last year, could have been a, you know, a, a mid first round pick had Tommy John surgery. Now he's back on the mound. That's a promising guy to have as a, a middle of your top 30 type of, uh, of pitcher. I, I do look at them that way. The Nats, I, I guess what I just said about Colorado is more true with the nationals. Like Kyle, like if they weren't moving up, 
that'd be really bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> Considering what they all just gave up. Yeah, and again, it speaks a lot to the fact they you know they did get a really good prospect package in the trade for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Again, we can have the argument should they have traded them, but once you decide you're going to trade them, this is the kind of package you need to get for them. But I want to talk about the Rockies for a second. One of the things that I think we have to keep in mind with them is I remember doing the math on this uh, a few years ago, and they've actually pretty consistently been one of the best organizations at, at drafting and developing. Um, but one other thing that's been really interesting, I remember talking with uh, one of their longtime reporters about this is there was a gap for a while for them internationally where you looked at it, it's like, man, they hadn't had a, a good homegrown international signee almost since like Juan Uribe. Like you had to go back a ways. Antonio Sensatella kind of broke that. We've seen Jonathan Daza be, be solid as well. But we've really started to see the international program flourish. Uh, Tovar and Amador, two guys you mentioned, but there's a lot of really good young arms there. So it's it's you already had the draft component. And, and like every other team, they had some misses. But on the whole, it's a pretty good record. Now you add the international component. It's really starting to click. And, and I remember watching the Fresno team last year, watching them in, in San Jose. And this was when San Jose, the Giants affiliate, was getting a ton of hype with Marco Luciano and Luis Matos and Kyle Harrison. And these were very good players, don't get me wrong. But it really jumped out to me watching that San Jose team and watching the Fresno team. And it was very clear that this Fresno team was every bit as talented as that San Jose team. The guys were just less famous. And I said that here to you guys publicly, privately, and it was very, very clear. And fast forward a year and three guys from that team are now top 50 prospects with Veen, with Romo, with Tovar. The talent was apparent. And watching this year's Fresno team as well, the talent's apparent. You know, last year's group, some of them are in Spokane, some of them are now in Hartford and there's a lot of talent in lower levels of the Rockies system that's starting to ascend. And I think that's really going to be reflected in what I think should be a continuous rise up these rankings in the next year or two as these guys continue to move to higher levels. And then with the Nationals, yeah, I mean, as we've talked about extensively, uh, this this was a substantial haul that they got. Um, even if you graduate C.J. Abrams out of it, you look at James Wood, you look at Robert Hassel, you look at Harlan Zuzana. I mean, it, it's... A lot of really, really good players. Um, you know, Cade Cavalli has taken a step forward this year. You add Elijah Green in the draft. You know, as we talked about, they pretty much have an entirely new top 10 prospects, which they kind of needed. You know, a lot of the guys who used to be their top 10 are now you know, the team's 20s, which is more appropriate for their talent levels in terms of where you want them to rank in a system. So the Nats, look, they're at the bottom of a rebuild now after trading Trey Turner and Max Scherzer and Juan Soto, you know, three generational talents. It's going to take a while. But at the very least, you know, last year after you traded away Turner and Scherzer, you kind of looked at it and said, they did that. And this is still a, a bad system. You know, Josiah Gray is a, a nice pitcher. KB Ruiz is a, is a nice catcher. They're, they're both in the majors now. But even with their additions, it wasn't a good system. Now what they have, you say, okay, at least they have a, an improving, legitimately solid farm system now where you look at this top 10 and say, yeah, there's actually – you know, 10 players here who have a real shot to be impactful. Will they all get there? Of course not. That's the nature of prospects, but at least they have a shot where coming into the year, you were seeing maybe three, maybe four. Um, so it's improving. And, and that's what you want to see when you give up the amount of talent they have. The other thing I'd see with them is, is that I, they're going to need to draft and develop better. That's been, I think also a, a key problem for the nationals. They have picked late a lot. They were good for quite a while, and that does play a role in this. But, you know, they had that stretch where it was Strasburg, Harper, Rendon. And again, let me emphasize, that's picking at the very top of the draft, and now they're picking lower down. But Lucas Giolito, who was picked in 2012, who was obviously traded away, but in a useful trade for them. But that's the last guy 
in the first round that they've drafted who's really done much. Dane Dunning is okay. You know, Dane Dunning is is pitching in the big, but I mean, you look at Rutledge, but Mason Denenberg's been really hurt. Seth Romero didn't do anything for them. Carter Keyboom hasn't so far. They're, they need to draft and develop. They had a, a few drafts there, if you go back to 2017, 2018, where they really didn't get much of anything out of it. And they're now picking high again. They've picked high again two years in a row. Elijah Green, Brady House. They picked fifth this year. They picked 11th last year. They're going to have to hit on not every one of these picks. You never do. But they got to hit on some of these. And if Elijah Green hits and James Woods hits, I, I bring them up together because they did play together at, in, at IMG. If they hit, then you've got a core outfield going forward. But that's obviously still a long ways away. Yeah, a lot of the guys in the net system are in the class A levels. So, you know, there's a couple guys who are up again. Cavalli's higher up, but you know, you look at House, you look at Wood, you look at Hassel. It's guys who who still have to show it'll translate to higher levels. And and don't get me wrong, they all should. They all have a lot of talent, but you have to show it and prove it because there's a lot of guys who look great, and then as soon as they start facing better pitching, it, it kind of falls off a little bit. Nonetheless, uh, they're moving up. They're moving in the right direction. They are now a top half of baseball farm system, which. When you're a team that's rebuilding as substantially as they are, that's exactly where you want to be. All right, JJ, we're going to take a break. And uh, after this, we're going to dive into some of the teams in the back half of the list, why they're there, uh, what kind of led to that, and and ultimately what some of the discussions and reviews were that led to that ranking. Uh, First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
you made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, we are back here with our Baseball America Midseason Organization Talent Rankings podcast. JJ, we talked about the teams in the top half of the farm system rankings, uh, some of the big movers, some of the guys at the top, and, and what put them there. Uh, now we do have to talk about some of the teams in the back half of the system, uh, who have been some of the teams that have dropped away, why that's happened, and and also who's number 30, why they're number 30, and, and some of the process that went into that. Uh, the first thing I, I want to kind of jump in on is the Mariners. They were our preseason number one farm system, and here at midseason, they're number 22. Obviously, a pretty substantial drop. Anytime you see a drop like that, one of two things happened. Either absolute catastrophe struck and every major prospect got hurt and everyone took a step back and basically the worst case scenario unfolded, which is not what's happened with the Mariners. The other scenario that we see this happen is a team did everything right. Their best players successfully graduated to the major leagues and stuck there. A lot of other good young prospects got traded away to go add players that significantly enhanced the big league roster. And as a result, the farm system has taken a dip, but the major league team is in a great position. And that's exactly where the Mariners are. How you go from one to 22 is you graduate Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby, two of the best rookies in the American League. Uh, on top of that, Andres Munoz and Penn Murphy, who were in their preseason top 30 and are now two key parts of that bullpen. And they also traded away three top 100 prospects, uh, Brandon Williamson, that the preseason org talent rankings were put out before the trade to the Reds involving Williamson, um, Nawalvi Martin, Edwin Arroyo to the Reds again at the deadline to go get Luis Castillo, plus a lot of other guys from their top 30 who are good prospects, Connor Phillips, Levi Stout, Andrew Moore. If you graduate two top 100 prospects, trade three others, and then graduate or trade five other top 30 prospects, you know, the farm system takes a bit of a hit, but for all the right reasons, you've added impact players to your lineup and your rotation, uh, getting guys like Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, and, and Luis Castillo, who's been amazing for them so far. As a result, the Mariners are now in position to make the playoffs for the first time since 2001. I mean, this is exactly what you want to have happen. So again, I'm going to repeat my offset line of if Rodriguez and Kirby and all these guys were still in the farm system, the farm system would still probably be number one in baseball but the major league team would not be in position to make the playoffs. And you obviously would prefer to have a postseason bound big league team. And that's where the Mariners are. And, and they're here because again, they've done everything right. A preferable outcome. I, I would cite another example of this. If you look at where the Braves are now, the Braves are near the bottom of, of our talent rankings now uh, 28th. And the thing about them is, is that you say, well, how did they get here? Well, if you look at what they've done this year, if you were having rookie of the year voting in the national league at this moment, the top candidate you kind of choose, is it Michael Harris? Is it Spencer Strider? They're both Braves. They're both guys who they've promoted this year and graduated Von Grissom. The only guy they have left in our top hundred is up in the big leagues with them right now. They've had other guys. They've who they, they traded uh, Tucker Davidson, not like he was a, a top hundred prospect at the time, but traded, they traded some guys at the deadline to help bolster their team and the other thing about that is, is that those guys are following on the heels of the many other young players who they have. That's a very homegrown team. Okay, they're now also feeling the effects of the fact that they didn't have international signing classes for multiple years because of the penalties over their uh, malfeasances of the uh, uh, of the previous regime. So it all adds up, and that's why they're at the bottom of the rankings. But at the same time, 
you look at where the Braves are right now and you say, no, they're in a pretty good position. They have an amazing amount of their core talent locked up for the remainder of the decade, pretty much. They have pitching talent. They have hitting talent. They've had guys like, okay, if we just said, because we talked about the Braves, you can find the podcast. We talked about the Braves a lot when they were building this. And if you just said at the time, I think Ronald Acuna is going to be an MVP candidate. We'd have gone, yeah, I, I agree. You may have gotten us to say, I think Austin Riley might be an MVP candidate, but that had been on the best day. You know, like that, that was, that was less likely, I guess is the way I would put it. And he's turned into kind of a cornerstone player as well. It again, they're at the bottom because it's kind of the natural life cycle of teams. If you're not named the Dodgers, that uh, the Dodgers avoid all uh, gravity that pulls you back down as you succeed. But as you graduate, you often, and as you make trades to try to help your big league club, it pulls you down these farm system rankings because the farm system is there to produce players for your big league club, but also to trade players to improve your big league roster by trading prospects for big league talent. Yeah, again, as you talked about, tremendously homegrown roster with Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies. You mentioned Harrison Strada coming up this year, Austin Riley becoming the star, William Contreras becoming an all-star this year. And also going and trading away some top prospects to go get Matt Olson. I mean, again, this is the defending World Series champions who are uh, 72 and 47 as of this recording and, you know, a virtual lock to get back to the postseason again for uh, the fifth consecutive year. So, again, this is one of those things where, okay, the farm system has been hollowed out for all the right reasons. The talents in the major leagues, which is where you want it and you know, just kind of backfill it. But don't worry about it. That them and obviously the Mariners have not won a World Series. Um, that's obviously the goal for that franchise. The lone team in Major League Baseball, the lone active franchise, I should say, to never even reach a World Series, but they're on the right track. So, you know, Braves and Mariners being here in the back third, it's really not a problem. Don't worry about it. It's a sign of, of success. They've done everything right. JJ, kind of on the flip side of that, two teams that were kind of in consideration for number 30. And just to be clear, these were kind of the clear cut bottom two, and we'll go into a little more uh, why, uh, but that was the Angels and the Royals. And, and these are two franchises that have not had a lot of success recently. Uh, the Angels, it's, as it's been well-documented, uh, are on track for their seventh consecutive losing season, uh, despite having Mike Trout for all of that run and, and Shohei Otani for a significant chunk of that run. And the Royals, who obviously had a tremendous, tremendous run reaching the World Series in 2014, winning it all in 2015. But they began a full-scale rebuild there around 2018. And four years later, they have nothing to show for it. And they just kind of had to kick off a brand new rebuild, uh, trading away with Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi at the deadline. And they're in a place now where they brought up some young big leaguers who have had some success. But uh, at the same time, what's left in the farm system at this exact moment is pretty light. I know we, we had a lot of staff discussions about this and, and, you know, I ran it by a few scouts as well uh, after our meeting and it, it came back that, yeah, you know, angels 29 Royals 30 is, is probably the way to go. But uh, when you kind of stack up the reasons why these two teams are where they are and then ultimately what some of the differentiating points were and, and who is number 29 versus who is number 30, how do you kind of, you know, assess this and, and where these two franchises are in terms of the farm system? So I, I think they've gotten here in kind of a little bit different ways. Um, the Royals at the start of this year ranked very high in our farm system talent rankings. And if you say, okay, well, why did they get here? In part it is because we've talked about snapshot in time. Bobby Witt Jr., who was one of our clear top prospects in all of baseball, has graduated. MJ Melendez, who 
has had a very solid season for the you know as a catcher slash outfielder for the Royals at the big league level has graduated. Vinny Pasquantino has graduated. Kyle Isbell has graduated. They also, I mean, you add to that Nick Prado, Michael Massey, Michael Garcia. There are a lot of nights that the Royals have a lineup that I can look at and say that could be a good lineup in you know a year or two. And it's a lot of guys who are 25 and younger and homegrown. Now, now that most all of those guys have graduated, when I look at the Royals right now, you say, okay, so they had a good farm system. Now they don't, as far as you know, top in talent, less top in talent, I guess I would put it. The real problem is, is that it's the core problem that they've had, which is they've struggled. They had this core of college pitching, college draftees, pitching prospects who Brady Singer to has taken a step forward this year, but they need a Daniel Lynch or a Jonathan Heasley or a Chris Bubik or a Jackson Kowar. Some of those guys to follow Singer's lead. But the other thing is, is now those are with the exception of Kowar. Those guys have all graduated. Heasley also graduated this year. Coleman's graduated this year. You have all these guys who graduated, but the other thing is, is, you were kind of expecting and hoping this year that Asa Lacey would take a step forward or Frank Mazzucato, who was their top 10 pick from last year, the 2021 draft, or you could pick some of these guys and they haven't taken that step forward yet. And that's, and there, I would put it this way in both those cases, those, those are players who are perceived, I would say around baseball as having less value right now than they did coming into the year. Now, Again, Frank Mazzucato is a cold-weather pitcher, drafted in the first round, sure, but you always knew it was going to be a multi-year process. And so I'm not in any way saying Frank Mazzucato's done because he struggled in low way in his first full pro season. However, he hasn't had a great year, and there are other high school pitchers who were drafted in that same first round who at this point you would say are perceived more highly throughout the uh throughout the industry is the way i'd put it i think the big thing we have to keep in mind and you and you hit on it i just want to reiterate it is they graduated a lot of of good young players again bobby witt's a good player Vinny pasquantino is a good player and if those guys were in the farm system still they wouldn't be number 30 but again you'd rather have them on your big league team as they are so again totally fine i i think though when you look at okay who are the guys that are still in the system that have not graduated it is really bad. Um, you know, I've traveled coast to coast, seen a lot of teams this year, all different levels. Um, Columbia is far and away the worst minor league team I've seen this year, both in terms of just baseball ability and, you know, talent, projectable talent. Um, it's really, really bad. And one of the themes of the Royals that we see right now with the guys that are currently left in their system, it's a lot of guys who are names in terms of they were high draft picks or they were acquired in trades that were somewhat prominent or they got big bonuses in the international market. And their names, but their actual ability is just not what you'd expect. And it just it's just not very good. Um, I mentioned, you know, Columbia is the worst team I've seen all year, coast to coast. And um, just having conversations with evaluators, that has come up a lot as well. Um, one of them went so far as to say the Royals have over $15 million wasted on that Columbia team, which was a harsh assessment, but an assessment nonetheless. It's a lot of guys who, again... Eric Pena, big bonus guy. It's just, it's just not there. Um, you know, the early reviews on Frank Mazzucato are he is so, so, so far away. 
how do you take him top 10? Ben Hernandez, again, not good reviews. You know, Ben Kaderna's the best of the bunch, and people are seeing a number five starter. We go up to high IA and quad cities, and it's similar reviews, and they've been one of the worst teams in the Midwest League all year. And again, there's some guys who are some names, but the actual reviews of their ability levels are, are pretty poor. Um, Northwest Arkansas has had some players that are certainly interesting and good, but, you know, we talked about, again, guys who are names, but but it's just not been there. Asa Lacey is one of those guys, and, and it's just been really, really rough. Alec Marsh has had a really rough season. He has not looked good. And after we kind of had our meeting, I, I reached out to a couple, you know, people who have Royals coverage, uh, organization coverage, as well as a few other teams top to bottom and said, you know, we put them at number 30. You know, is that too harsh? And a couple of them said no that it's, there's just not a lot there. Um, basically, the review was very few, if any, impact players, some interesting depth pieces, but the most recent drafts have been bad, just outright bad. And even the evaluators who felt that number 30 was maybe a little harsh agreed they're absolutely a bottom five system, you know, 26 to 30. So it's it's pretty rough that, right now. That That's the other thing I would say with this is like, there are error bars on this. So if you... Let's say you're a fan of the Angels, because we'll talk about the Angels here. And your argument is, I don't think the Angels are 29. I think they're 26. Okay. That's within the range of like, we're not going to tell you that there's a precision here that if we look back on this 10 years from now, that, okay, you're in that range. You're a bottom five org. Now, if you say, I believe this Angels system right now is a top five, top 10 org, I'm going to have a, a, a struggle to, to, to do this. And this is what I, I, I said I wanted to get back to this. If you want to summarize, and it's not fair, I will start with saying comparing anyone to what the Dodgers have done is not fair because the Dodgers are producing talent year after year after year. But when you say, how have the Angels gotten here? The simple answer is, they have to draft and develop better internationally too. But if you look at the draft, to just give you an example, the, the Angels had in 2009, for best, second best, third best, I don't think you could argue much worse than that, draft of all time. They, had, they got three players in that draft who produced 10 plus four, okay, including Mike Trout, who's far, far beyond that, right? Since that 2009 draft, so 2010, and again, 22, you're not going to have big leaguers yet, but they do have a big leaguer from 2011, 21, Chase Silsell. But 2010 to 2022, the Dodgers have drafted, I mean, Dodgers, the Angels have drafted and signed two players who have produced 10 plus four. One draft, three of them, 13 drafts since then, Two, and that's David Fletcher and Cole Calhoun. That's it. Now, if you compare that, if you say, well, you know, how much do you get out of a draft? If you wonder why are the Dodgers where the Dodgers are, let's just go through. And this is with the Dodgers, by the way, not picking at the top of the draft. The Angels have had, they've been picking kind of middle place when they don't lose their draft pick because of free agency. But in 2011, the Dodgers drafted Scott Barlow. You may say, well, Scott Barlow, okay, he's okay. That would be like one of the three or four best guys that the Angels have drafted since 2010. In 2012, the Dodgers drafted Corey Seager and Ross Stripling. Again, Corey Seager, you don't have to make any, anyone have any introduction. But again, Ross Stripling, you may go, oh, Ross Stripling. 
that would be one of the best players that the Angels would have drafted over the past decade. 2013, Cody Bellinger and Kyle Farmer. 2014, Alex Verdugo. 2015, Walker Bueller. 2016, Gavin Lux, Will Smith, Dustin May, Devin Smeltzer, Tony Gonsolin. And by the way, that's not counting Mitch White, Andre Scrub, Luke Rayleigh, Dean Kramer, and Zach McKinstry. And again, I bring those guys up because those are like guys who, okay, they're a little fringy. They would be among the better players the Angels have drafted. When you do that year after year after year, the advantage it gives you is dramatic. And hey, I love the Angels draft this year so far. I'm a Zach Nito fan. I am. I think that Zach Nito's, the fact that he's a double A already, okay, that's a little surprising. But hey, I, he's a polished guy. Maybe he can handle it. But that said, I do look at the Angels right now. Logan Ohapi, they added top 100 prospect in a trade. I like Edgar Cuero, who's a promising young catcher who's in low A. But for every guy who's taken a step forward, looking at Kai Bush, there's been guys who've taken step backs. And they've been kind of sitting. The other teams we are talking about who are at the back of this 100, I mean, the back of this 30, are teams where you're like, they were high, and now they've fallen back to this because of graduations. The Royals, the Braves, the Astros. The Angels haven't gotten here because of graduations. The Angels have been sitting in this range for quite a while, right, Kyle? Yeah, it's it's been a while. I will say there is some interesting talent. That Double A Rocket City team has a lot of good players that are that are interesting. Among them, you know, Zach Neto and Logan Ohapi, and, and this team at Inland Empire. Um, I'm out here in Southern California. I've seen them a good bit. You know, there is some interesting talent there with Caro. You know, Warner Blakely. There's actually a little more talent than there has been some other iterations of, of Inland Empire, even when they were you know considering they were high A team too. In kind of that context, so there is a little more talent than there has been in previous years in this organization, but um, there's still a ways to go. And I think when you're talking about, okay, 29 versus 30, you know, one of the things that that does kind of put the Angels over the Royals right now is you have Ohapi, Neto, and Bush as your top three, all of whom project to be, you know, solid everyday big leaguers. You know, Ohapi, an everyday catcher, and Neto, an everyday infielder, whether it's shortstop or third base, and Bush, a, a solid number four, maybe number five starter. Look at the Royals' top three right now, and I mean, again, Gavin Cross was just picked, and maybe he has a shot, but it's a lot of guys who who grade out as forty-five grade players, maybe forty grade players. It's they don't have a lot of guys who say, "Yeah, that's an everyday big leaguer," and that's something right now where the Angels kind of get that little nod because they at least have three of them, and then a couple guys you say, "Yeah, you know, they're far away, but they're interesting," or maybe something happens that can you know help to them take a jump, but. You're right. I mean, this is an organization that when they've been at their best, they've been a, a tremendously homegrown team. Um, go back to their lone World Series in franchise history. Benji Molina, Troy Gloss, Garrett Anderson, Darren Erstad, Tim Salmon, Jared Washburn, Ramon Ortiz, John Lackey, Troy Percival, Francisco Rodriguez. I mean, all their core guys, for the most part, were homegrown. And they've had a lot of really, really, really good homegrown success stories. You know, you look pretty much from 1990 through 2010. And it's just dried up since then. And, and that's sort of been kind of an issue of why they are where they are right now. And they're trying to fix it. But, but I think before we wrap up, JJ, one thing I want to hit on is what happens a lot of times is, you know, these rankings come out. People see that us, their team is, is number 28, 29, 30. They say, well, how are we number 30 when we have X guy, Y guy, Z guy? And, and I want to just go back and point out, you know, kind of the study I did a few years ago. I looked at, you know, how many big leaguers does a farm system have? And 
there is no farm system that is ever empty. There is no farm system that ever has nothing. I think the thing that really stopped for me was going back and looking at 15 years of, of farm system data and, and major league outcomes. Even the worst, least productive farm systems have about seven guys who end up, you know, having having big league careers, you know, three plus years of, of somewhat regular at bats or innings pitched or appearances. And even the very worst systems tend to have, you know, two all-stars, you know, two future all-stars in their system at any time. So it's important to keep in mind that if you have, call it, you know, 15 to 20 guys who get a taste of the big leagues, six or seven of them who project to, you know, stay in the big leagues and one or two guys who project to be all-stars, you can say, well, how are we the number 30 farm system? That is a number 30 farm system. Um, we've studied the data pretty objectively that that's where it stands. So no farm system is ever empty. Every system here, Royals, Angels, you know, Braves, Astros, there will be guys who come out of these systems who have sustained major league careers. But that standard of even if you have you know seven guys who end up being big leaguers for a somewhat substantial period of time and one or two guys who become an all-star, that is what a number 30 farm system looks like. So I just think I wanted to address that because again every system does have players no system is ever empty but if you can only if it's only five six or seven that is a number 30 farm system the other thing i would say is we are also right now this is going to sound stupid but there are different kind of 30s right this is right now a time where i would say the difference between the 25th system even 24th system in our org talent rankings at this moment in time and 30 is relatively modest where there have been other times I'm thinking back over the years, there have been a few times, like we had a debate about 29 and 30 this time. There have been times where we get in, we gather together, we start the meeting and everyone knows who the 30 is before you even start the conversation. Because like to give an example of this, right? The worst teams that we have ranked right now are the Angels and the Royals, both of which have a top 100 prospect. We've had many a time where there is a team that not only doesn't have a top 100 prospect, but doesn't have anyone who's in consideration. I would say that with the Angels and the Royals, there are other players who aren't on the top 100. But if you told me that Gavin Cross snuck onto the top 100 before the end of the year, wouldn't be shocking. He's one of the highest ranked players in our 2022 draft rankings who's not currently on the top 100 if you told me that by the end of the year zach nato you know nito makes makes the top 100 very positive he's in double a very possible that is okay they're 29 and 30 but we've had times in the past when you see a team that's traded it all away or just we've had an angels team or two where you're like there's no one on the top 100 and there's no one who you look at and say, well, he's maybe not the first guy who's going to be added to it, but no, they would have no one in the top 150. We're not in a situation like that right now. The teams who are at the back of this list are closer to the next group than they are at times where it's like, this team doesn't have anyone in the top 200 prospects in baseball, which we have seen before. But any, any thoughts on that, Kyle? There are players in both of these systems who will turn out to be just fine big leaders. Um, I'm probably a little higher on, on the Angels and some other people on staff, but I also 
understand the skepticism um, given homegrown player development outcomes for the organization over the last five, six years. Um, we'll see what this this new group is able to do in terms of this new front office regime, new player development apparatus, and if they're able to improve that at all. But yeah, again, there are always players who are going to turn out to be something. But as you said at the top of the show, someone has to be number 30. We're ranking all 30 teams. And ultimately, um, just looking at the reviews and the performance from the players who are currently still in the Royal system at this exact moment, it just kind of came out that, yeah, this is number 30. And again, even their, their biggest defenders who thought that was too harsh, clear-cut bottom five system. Right. And that's, and that's where, again, we... We, we bring good news and bad. Um, and we, again, and we say like, if you're going to be willing to rank, uh, you, 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 you try to explain it as best we can. And the reality of it is, is that we will do this all again uh, about six months from now, five months from now, I guess we, cause we'll, we'll finish the handbook, the prospect handbook. And so we'll have literally ranked every organization. And then one of the last things we do before we send that book to the uh, printer is we say, okay, how do these line up? And we'll do it all again. And hopefully, I hope I'm still around to do this. I've done, I've been involved in 20 of these now. And I hope I have another at least 10 or 15 in me, 20 years of these, I guess I should say at BA. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it is a useful exercise, even if it isn't easy. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, we encourage everyone to go online, check out the full top 30. Again, we gave you a little bit of uh, an appetizer for where some teams rank, why they rank there. But obviously, uh, there are a lot of teams who we didn't talk about. And we encourage you to go online and check it out, baseballamerica.com. Uh, you can find explainers of why teams are where they are, you know, where they stand, who their top 100 prospects are, and uh, what the future looks like. Uh, once again, this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.